Uh, Nick want to know if we get a Corsair, we're going where are we going to put it in the studio, Mike? Because it's kind of full. Trust me, we'll, we'll put I it guess, where the we, monitor is. We and will, Andre yeah, will not be don't worry about Andre. <laughs> we'll forget Andre the Corsair. <laughs> we will hang it in the studio, <laughs> no <laughs> problem. <laughs> we'll set the cow right. In the That's right. Cup and it'll sit vertically right there. No problem. Perfect. We will make it fit. That is not a problem. It's like ice cream, yeah, well, always room for ice cream. Yes, <laughs> Mike knows all well, about that. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to another edition of RC After Hours. We are back in the studio with a fun-filled show. Another new product out on the market that I'm really excited to talk about because it is one of my absolute favorite airplanes ever. I've had probably just about every one of them uh, sold. So I'm excited to get the show going. Come join us live on Facebook and we can talk about the new product, answer your questions, join in. Uh, get some good feedback from you guys and let us know what you think. So other than that, let's get rolling. Uh, real quick, thanks to Get FPV for uh, sponsoring the show and getting our two guests on here that we're going to talk to in just a second. So go check out Get FPV. Use our discount, RC After Hours, and get 10% off your entire order after you spend 100 bucks. And we'll talk more about that later. So... Mike Coolins, let's get started. All right, huh? sounds good. So, Can't wait. obviously, that voice in studio Hello, here, everyone. Mike Coolins. Yep, glad to be here. And uh, let's get our guest up here on the show. We'll drop this back down. Of course, everybody's uh, favorite Canadian up there, Andre Russo, is joining us. Good morning. How are you, Andre? Things going good? Hello. I'm alive. You're alive. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> And from Motion RC, we have the one and only Alpha, who is always missing on camera because he says it, his camera never works. But also joining us once again is James, all the way down there, and I believe in Georgia, with our yes, new sir. product that we are going to talk about on the bench. It is absolutely gorgeous. Oh. So James, real quick, what are we talking about today? This is the brand new, coming soon, Flightline 1600 millimeter Course Air. This is the birdcage version you're looking at. We also have a bubble in the classic Navy scheme with the bubble top, but uh, I only, Alpha only sent me one, sadly. So 
Sorry. <laughs> so I got this one, but I think it would have been the one that I would have went with anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, I'm a huge Corsair fan. Go ahead, Mike. I was just have- going to say, because I was, I'd, I'd never heard Birdcage and Bubble Top. Just explain that real quick, if you could, for our listeners. Um, Yeah, the Bubble Top ones. is usually, uh, like, I, I'm a big fan of the the 1D, and it's kind of a, like they say, Bubble Top. You can see all the way around. Okay. Yeah, kind of look around. If you can look it. at the what James has, the Birdcage, you can see it's kind of blocked on the, yeah, back, blocked on the back, and it's got the bars coming down on the windows. Kind of looks like a Birdcage. Okay. I'm assuming that's where it got its name from. I'm sure our listeners knew. I, I was a little new to that. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it's kind of neat, actually. A lot of the aircraft, the P-47, got a quote-unquote bird cage, and then they transitioned to the bubble. Yep. Uh, the the P-40 uh, sort of is that classic. The P-36, P-40, that classic bird cage, and then as we see the evolution through the war, P-47, mm-hmm. P-51, the, the early Bs were were sort of quote-unquote bird cages or turtle decks. They yes. be just frame, framed canopies. Yes. Okay. And then as as throughout the war, you see later Spitfires have bubble canopies, the P-51D, obviously, bubble canopy, and even with the Corsair, bubble canopy, P-47. So they, they sort of got the technology realizing they needed to see if and they were going to survive. A lot of kills happened yes. um, from behind you. You never really knew who, who your aggressor was. So kind of right. that's how we Makes that's sense. how we. we we evolved the model as well. Right. Now, Alpha, correct me if I'm wrong. We've we've seen the P-47, you know, like with the Razorback, uh, the P-51 done, uh, like you said, maybe like the P-40. But I, I don't ever really remember seeing any the 1A Birdcage Corsair. Are there many models out there? Because if there was, I didn't see them or I didn't notice them. It was always usually the, you know, the D model with the bubble canopy. Yeah, certainly not in this size. They've been done in other sizes in the past. Um, but I think that the, the Dash 1D and then the Dash 4, which is the four-blade, mm-hmm. that's when you sort of see the transition of the war um, carrier base and then into Korea. They, they went to different engine, different propeller systems. So I think a, a lot of those, when people think classic sort of deep blue or three-tone Corsair, they're thinking of the later variants. Um, so for that reason, maybe the earlier variant that that classic dash 1a uh, in more of a two-tone what we call sort of the island hopping scene. this is guadalcanal uh and 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 the early marines um the, the marines operations they weren't really done a lot in foam mm-hmm. i don't i don't know why but for us it was a it was a natural sort of choice to do something redefining the classic everyone knows the corsair but we did want to put our own spin on it and found a way to offer both variants in two different color schemes. Right. And I, I think that's cool that you guys, you know, have a variant. People can pick and choose. And and my problem is I'm on the fence because I like the birdcage paint scheme, but I'm a big, you know, bubble top Corsair fan. So I'm like, oh, man, I don't know <laughs> what to between the Yeah, I'm torn between the two. You buy one for display. Oh, and yeah. One fly. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other interesting note, I was surprised to hear that this is only your second single-engine large warbird in the 1,600 millimeters. I was really surprised to hear that. It is. Yeah, we talked about it, I think, podcast or two ago about how there's 14 or 15 different categories of planes, right? You've got from your micros to your twin 80 jets mm-hmm. and 6470, all these different sort of classes or categories, as we call them. Um, there's a lot of them. And even if we are very prolific in producing new products, 
five, six, seven, eight new planes a year, that's still sort of 18 to 24 months before we hit a similar class. So um, mm-hmm. models like those, the twins, we sort of space them out. Um, our, our, our four-engine aircraft, you're gonna see, we're sort of spacing those out at regular intervals. 80s we hit sort of once or twice a year, 90s or once a year, and the 1600s are, yeah, they're, they're just about every 20 months or so. Mm-hmm. So it's been a little bit of a while from our Spitfire, but when you stand back and see it as a portfolio, um, we've been very busy. We can't just make one size. Otherwise yes. the interval for the other categories are, are left wanting. And we know we've got a lot of customers out there worldwide who have different preferences. <laughs> so it's all, it's always, uh, <laughs> that's why these, these launches are always fun because they're waiting for the category they like. And some people are happy and some people keep waiting. So right. I think that's we do our best. single release ever. Somebody's happy and somebody's upset. Absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For every company, not just us. It's just, yeah. it is. It is. <laughs> uh, my next question is, I don't think I've, like I said, I've had almost, Every Corsair out on the market, except for maybe some giant gas scale ones, obviously, everything's been electric. And I buy them, fly them, sell them, buy another one, fly it, you know, I was sell gonna say, it. I didn't see a lot in your assortment. No, so you went and, through them already. Yeah. And at one yeah. time, I probably had four <laughs> or five. And I just, and, and I actually don't have one at the moment. I've been kind of bummed out. And, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, but every one alpha that I've had is just that really good flying characteristics, almost kind of like the, uh, the, the P47. I, I haven't really had one that's flown bad, but they're, they just have their own style and look, obviously, with the gall oh, wing. So cool they air, look so cool in sure. the air. So I'm curious when you guys went up to the 1600 millimeter size, was it pretty simple once, you know, you got the basic layout and what you were going to do that you put it in the air and go, yep. It's Corsair. It flies fantastic. Or did you really have to do a little bit of tweaking to it? Yeah, unfortunately, um, Corsair turned out to be. You often ask, "What's the which ones are easy, which ones are hard?" This one was really tough. No kidding. Um, not just because I think there's a precedent and an expectation in the market for how a Corsair would or should fly, but also because every millimeter counts. The larger an aircraft gets. Um, that you, you mentioned that inverted gull wing, having yes. to reinforce that structure without running too heavy or too expensive is, is, is very difficult. Um, the A-10 is a really big 1.7 meter wing, but at least it's straight. So, <laughs> so we, we built in hollow wings, plywood ribs, aluminum uh, reinforcements tied into big carbon tubes. And sort of we did that with, with the A-10 and then the Spitfire. But both of those are straight wings. The Corsair pre- presented tip to tip anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, how do you reinforce something that needs to be reinforced, but is now you're dealing with, with a lot of changing um, geometry. And of course you got these lanes. Did Alpha go? The, the real bird, but but this one was, this one was tough. <laughs> now, was. if you guys go to Hobby Squawk, Alpha has a picture of, the inside of the wings and it's it's pretty incredible as someone who obviously i've never built one myself but just the whole hollow core and the, you can mm-hmm. see the bolts all the different material that went in i mean everything on this course air is really happening in the wings yeah you and know? Then to support yeah. the landing gear and stuff too with that right. structure yeah. is very difficult yeah. to ask i'm sure yeah. you have you've got lights yeah. obviously you've got your wingtip lights built in we've got a landing light that functions just when the gear drops which is awesome the big landing gear, let me turn it 
Oh, it's beautiful. It's, I mean, it's very beastly. And then you obviously got two servos just for the flaps on each side yeah. and a servo for the aileron. So, you know, those ribbon cables going through the multifunction control box mm-hmm. inside, the only things you plug in, but that's where all the action happens. I right. mean, it's really just the elevator yeah. and the rudder through the fuselage and everything else is, you know, and obviously the retractable tail, but... Can you drop the flaps, James? Can you just... Oh, I got to plug it in, but I can do that. Well, at least you got okay. your prop off already. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can get to work here this morning. Man, while he's so doing yeah, that... It's built for this, the 5,000 milliamp Admiral. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that in a second of why that can be important behind the cowl. I have so oh many questions. My there, mind is has, just... This has a Mike, lot more features I, than I expected. Mike, if... if sure. and, and I'm sure he'll show it again. When he was holding that up, did you see the the square open window right in the center of the wing? Yeah, did you, did you notice that, that Mike? Yeah, we, Possibly not. We put the <laughs> window. That, that is a window the pilot could actually look down below him and see anything below him. And I, again, I don't know if I ever remember seeing a plane that actually had that, that feature built in. That's good. There you go yeah that one i'm pretty that's a feature i'm fairly certain has never been done with certainly not in foam electric i think james oh. you, you tapped your camera buddy i tapped it there you go it's back oh it's back yeah mm-hmm. but that window is one of the things that i really wanted to throw in because you can stand above the aircraft look down to the pilot look between his legs yeah and you can see the <laughs> runway oh so, that sure. is so cool is that- oh, that's a feature I never for, knew. For guys throwing FPV in there, we know it may be a little bit of a creature feature to be able to pan down and check the ground or, or mount the camera there. Or oh, that's <laughs> and then the doors. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, and the my- tail retracts we saw. <laughs> and yeah. the tail. Yeah, the tail retracts as well. Yay! Yes. It sounds so funny, but we know how complicated that feature yeah. is. But it's like on this scale of aircraft, it's a must. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's a big airplane, people. It's awesome. <laughs> really big. I know, just like I'm like behind it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to see me over this. But the flaps, the detail in the flaps is, yes. is really impressive. I mean, he's got plastic injected, like. I don't even know what you'd do if you had a problem to redo that. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it, it's Built so in. solid. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got, and, and what I heard from other, you know, larger Corsairs was there was only one servo. So the flap, obviously, on a 1700 Corsair is going to be a, even a little bigger, but with one servo running, you might get, you know, the wind could push on one side. Yes. Whereas now you're firm. I mean, these yeah. are rock solid. You're going to, Wow! You know, yeah. our pilot Patrick, who was doing the flight review, he slowed this thing up, and it was it was silly how slow it could fly yeah. if you want it to. You know, well, another thing where we're looking at the bottom of the wing, we might as well point out is um, as as the aircraft scales up, we're able to, to to do a little bit as far as usability. So you'll notice that each of those servos are oriented in a way where they're they're hot swappable. So not only do you have easy access to the screws to, to the two screws that secure the servo into a plywood um, casement there, but if you were to undo those two screws, that servo and its servo wires, they're not. 
oh. and have a hollow wing, we molded a we molded a sort of a, 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 a channel, so to speak, that's obviously much wider uh, than the wires themselves. So that you have free movement. You can reach in as you see where the landing gear mm-hmm. door, the landing bay, gear bay there is open there. You can undo the servo, access it, pull it out, and then again, probably won't show it here, but check Hobby Squawk for pictures of where the two wing halves come together. You can access that servo. So essentially, we designed it where that nothing's really glued in. It's easy to service if you did need to swap out servos, easy Mm -hmm. to to access everything. And again, taking advantage of the fact that it's a larger aircraft, right? So... People may want to be working on these things and or um, even if they never had to go in and swap the servo, it's nice to know that you're able to one of the benefits of going bigger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, you kind of answered the the flap servo question. I was wondering why you went with two servos instead of one, because I know a lot of but with the bigger size and everything, that makes sense. So we were just talking about landing gear. The other thing, Alpha, then uh, on the retracts, I know a lot of some of the other manufacturers have had. I would say not really good landing gear because of the rotating retracts. They have a tendency to, yeah. to snap the pins. So what did mm-hmm. you do, you know, with the landing gear? To, uh, we, I watched the video of the takeoff and landing on grass. It looks like it handled it really well. Plus you got some, um, uh, looks like a, sp- uh, uh, what do I want to say? A spring or, um, suspension, yeah, suspension, suspension gear yeah. on there. There's suspension. Yeah. So I was yeah. curious, what did you guys do or look at for the rotating retracts to, to keep them to hold, you know, to hold up to the abuse? Well, good question. We looked at the path, right? Yes. Um, there have been a lot of aircraft out there that have utilized twist and turn retracts, P40s, Corsairs, et cetera. And we looked at what was done before and understanding what we were getting into. We've made twist and turns before for the A6 Intruder and more recently last summer for the uh, 80mm A4 Skyhawk. Um, the Corsair was, was a little bigger, so it has to do with not just you can't just make things bigger and heavier. That's the thing, right? You can't just put a 10mm <sighs> pin on it. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a balance between we, we, we tweaked the forward rake angle a little bit. We looked at the suspension and looked at our rebound for springs, having learned some lessons from the A-10 and other customer feedback on some of our other suspension shredded aircraft as far as what they like. Um, you want supple so that it's good for grass users and yet not not too supple where it's going to be bouncy for hard pavement or, or hard dirt users. And right. all of that, of course, informs the how, how you build that retract unit. This is an all unit. A lot of things about this Corsair are all new. Um, it's, it's got an all new motor, all new prop mold, all new retract. And so all of those things need to be purpose built for the airplane. For this retract, I mean, it's still gonna look like any other retract to most people. Um, but again, it's how the retract system, which is not the unit itself, but the wheel, the strut, the trunnion, the retract, and then it's mounting plates, how all of that as a system works together to dampen forces and not tear out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it's the bouncing function from the aircraft's behavior and also sort of the tearing out, um, <laughs> the tearing out fun that, that happens if you come down too hard. Yes. We, we try to preempt a lot of that, um, which then flows into how you design the airfoil and the flaps so that the aircraft can come down at a reasonable pace. Again, it does not need to be um, flown down like a carrier bird. It doesn't, it's, it's not fighting you to get back down to the ground. So, right. Oh, or oh. should we show land, this feature? Right? 
yeah, you're getting ahead of me, James. You're getting ahead of me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're all right. I just, um, <laughs> I, my, my mind is just racing like crazy. I got so many questions. Um, okay. So real quick, I wanted to move on to the tailwheel because again, not, okay. a, not a lot of the big, or I shouldn't say a lot of the Corsairs on the market had a retractable tailwheel until you got into the larger size, like even the FMS, I think their 1700 millimeter had the, the retract tailwheel. Again, it's something that um, not always works very well. So uh, I'm curious to know design wise, you know, if you come down on a hard three point, point landing or something, how it's going to take the abuse. And if you do have a problem, is it something, you know, that's easily replaceable? Yeah, so I, I like the way you think because we think in terms of usability, right? Your everyday practicality, and mm-hmm. you know it's going to happen. You yes. know, we know that we're going to need to swap stuff out, and so the tailwheel is one of those things that we approach with the same mentality as we did with the servos. Mm-hmm. It needs to be able to be strong, where you're not going to need to uh, swap it out, say every landing. But if you ever did want to service it, it is easy to do so. So. Difficult to see in James's angle there, but that's a good angle, as, as good as we can get. Um, the plastic you see on the sort of faux arrestor hook and that forward brace assembly, those are cosmetic. They're not load bearing. Okay. The, the steel pin of the, the steel pin that, that, that creates the, um, the strut itself goes directly into the trunnion. And what you may not be able to see if you sort of pause and zoom, or again, just check hobby squawk. We've got closer pictures there. You'll see a metal collar. That collar, uh, it gives the user easy access. If you ever wanted to swap that, let's say you just wanted to swap, uh, swap that, that strut itself for the wheel, you can insert an Allen key, access the collar, and instead of needing to pull the entire retract out, <laughs> <laughs> you can pull just the wheel out. Oh. Um, if then you needed to, if you still needed to get deeper, should we built it in layers, you can access the retract without pulling that entire plastic sort of housing out. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So again, check hobby swap for better pictures, but suffice to say, we'd be really surprised if anyone managed to tear out this, uh, tear out this unit. But even if they did, it's going to be a cinch. Serviceable. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really good yeah. to know. Does that, does that tailwheel actually telescope it up in? No, I think it, it folds. It, it does folds. fold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know. Um, yeah, the yeah. tail, the, the retract folds, but the, the, um, the arrestor hook, the, the hook, that, is a telescope it's tele- piece of plastic. Yeah, so the gotcha. hook's always telescoping. Um, and it just like telescope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a little, it's a bit of a little trick we did so that you get the telescoping sort of action and it looks neat when you're on the ground. It obviously looks very scale, but in practice, the, the arrestor is stowed um, up and down up at all times. So gotcha. we're a little wary. If people really wanted to, to, to free it, they could, but mm-hmm. we always want to make at least, you're going to need to modify the aircraft to be able to do that because obviously you can't have people calling us saying, I tried to land on a, on a piece of string across my <laughs> runway that tore out the back of my airplane. Yeah, <laughs> We've had that discussion a few times. Um, another good question, and I, I did watch the build video, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but the vertical stabilizer, is it molded in the fuselage or can you detach it and be replaced? Because that is another big thing here where we fly in the rough grass field. A lot of warbirds, we have a tendency to nose over or flip all the way over, and you sometimes crush the tail, yeah. and you got to try to fix yeah, everything's it. everything's bolt on. Okay, perfect. Yeah, everything uh, is yeah. bolt on the aircraft. Sweet, from, yeah. from the build, there was what? I think there's 
14 screws. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 14 screws total. So um, to get the build done. So you've got you've got four screws that drop in for to drop in for your horizontal stab. One, mm -hmm. two, three, four. Okay. Then you've got four screws gets it done. Two on each side flush uh, for the vertical stab. So that just, again, sits in no glue at all. That mm -hmm. took about all of five seconds when I built it. Then they give you six screws for the main wing assembly. Two will screw the two wings together to make them one. And yep. then the other you can four, store them as half. Yeah. four of them, um, you know, attach it to the fuselage and you're done. And I can take it apart in, in a little bit okay. if you want. I can definitely, I can definitely separate the wing. I was just taking yeah. apart the prop assembly for when we get to that. Yes. Um, get the wing off four screws and two connections to one. Um, yeah. Okay, let's see. Uh, let me write this down or I'm going to forget real quick. Um, my other question is watching I, uh, George Baker's build video, you know, checking everything out and the fit and finish, which we'll get into here in a minute. The other thing I was kind of curious about is the vents in the wings. Again, most yeah. the, the RC airplanes are just a molded piece of plastic and they're not actually vented. These vents actually go through the wing. And I just wanted to know, was it is there a purpose behind that? A reason, or you there just is. okay? I want to hear it. Yep. Uh, first reason is no one's done it in foam, and we had to do it. Okay. Um, two is the Corsair was known by some as, as whistling death. Right? Yes. Um, and so we know Thingiverse.com. We've posted some files online, or at least referenced them, where you can you can get whistles, and a lot of people put them on aircraft already. They put Nerf whistles in in our EDF jets. We've seen a lot of customers sort of talk about that, and um, and we thought, well, with the Corsair, let's let's find a place that we can build in a cavity uh, where we can control airflow in and out. Um, and thereby have a bit of a pressure differential so that if a whistle were to be placed in there, it would, it would work um, without needing to bolt it onto the outside of the airplane and ruin, ruin the overall look. Mm -hmm. So with the Corsair, as it happens, the perfect place for it is in those wing roofed um, radiator coolers. And so we, they are molded plastic. You know, it, it took a little bit of extra sort of work and thinking because again, back to our conversation about reinforcing the wing sufficiently, it goes right through where, spars traditionally would go right so we sort of thought about how to build there's a, there's an aluminum on hobby squawk we've got a picture of a, of a thick aluminum um square rod that basically takes the load in that area and frees up more space where as you can as you saw in george's video it's hollow so airflow comes in just like on the real thing um instead of having mechanics in there we just have a blank space and then the air obviously needs to leave and so we molded it, it, it exits in the same location with the same sort of uh, exiting flap, so to speak, as the rear force. So sort of, bless you, sort of we were able to, without too much work, incorporate a RC creature feature using the original aircraft's uh, layout and, and one of its really iconic aspects to the design. Um, so kind of fun. Yeah. And um, we're telling people on Squawk there's, there's a variety of whistles with high and low pitches, Mm -hmm. that are people can print out or again any sort of nerf whistle it's easily accessible to try that rear plastic plate on the uh, sorry that's and, all right and then throw your uh throw, throw your whistles in there so that is i think people will have a lot of fun with that 
That is a fantastic <laughs> idea. I, and, and, you know, I was all about the uh, the other Corsair, but I don't know if it's just because we're looking at this one and we're kind of playing around with it. This one's growing on me a little oh, bit. I <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh, I'm just such a Corsair idiot. Anyway. Um, all right. <laughs> Let's, uh, I guess, since James has the cow off in the prop uh, laying there, we'll uh, jump into the cow. Now, obviously, if anybody's watched the build videos or or even watched the flight videos, you'll notice that the cow does have removable weights in it. I'll put that up on the big screen for you so you can see that. And you have the option to take away weight and add weight. And from watching the videos and everything, that's because you have a wide range of batteries you can use in this plane. So I think it's a fantastic idea that you are able to do that. If you have a bunch of 5,000s or 4,000s or whatever, 6,000s, you can get that weight spot on and get that CG perfect every time, and you don't have to worry about moving the battery around or anything like that. Now, I think it's a little, I don't want to say unusual. I have a couple other planes that have weight built in uh, to the nose, but in general, I think, and I could be wrong, Alpha, I'm just thinking out loud here, that you really don't normally want to try to put weight in an airplane to get it to, to balance out. But obviously with this, you did. So what's the reasoning behind why we do have the weight in the nose cone? Yeah, thanks, James, um, for showing that. So yes and no. Ideally, uh, the lighter an aircraft is, the shutter is paribus, it's going it's gonna to fly better. Um, I'm going to go grab However... However, with this Corsair, we recognize two things. One, we know guys are flying, and they increasingly ask us, can I fly a larger battery? We talk about that Raptor. We, want, we recommend for a 5,000, people are putting in six, 7,000 uh, milliamp packs. So at the same time, we've also noticed some feedback that people say, we love that aircraft, but I have sort of a 4,000 or I have a 3,600. Um, some of that CG can, I should be clear, most of that CG can be accomplished just by moving your battery pack around in the bay. Correct. Um, however, we, we wanted to sort of, we wanted to sort of do something special for this Corsair. Uh, and the reason why we were, we were drawn to that conclusion and what, what you see in the finished product is we found that this Corsair actually liked a little bit of weight. Um, it's still, it's wing loading is still under a lot of other Corsairs in the market. Mm -hmm. So in total, it's still going to sort of fly as, as you've probably seen already in the videos, it's going to fly very acrobatically, very nimbly and have a very, very docile, uh, stall window. Uh However, um, in straight lines, you see the acceleration that we're able to get in that aircraft. A lot of that is the fact that we've got like a hundred grams up in the nose. So in the grand scheme of the entire aircraft, as you see what James is showing you there, it's not a lot of weight. Uh, four are included pre-installed. That's the perfect balance for our Admiral 6S5000 push all the way forward. Mm-hmm. And we include additional ones if people want to add more, if they're flying lighter batteries, hit that same CG. Or again, more often than not, I anticipate guys are going to be throwing 6,000, 7,000s or larger packs. And right. in that instance, they can either move the battery back uh, and keep that nose weight and hit CG, or again, remove the weight altogether. So we know that a lot of people have Corsair hours under their wings, and they're probably going to want to tune the aircraft sort of to how they want to fly it. And the aircraft likes a little bit of weight. It can take that weight. And so we we we, we didn't want to discourage people from having a way to 
sort of battery up, so to speak. Um, and that's, that's really the, the shortest answer as far as why we did what we did. I think it's a cool idea, not personally. Yeah. I, I think like James, it. you got to flip it all the way around. Yeah, the rotate the it. There you go. There yep, you, go. you got there it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> My man. Um, you know what? This was upside down. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really cool idea and, and different. And it, I like the idea how you can just pop them in and out. And you got a little bit bit of tape on there. Yeah. That, yeah. that that is really cool. A lot of manufacturers will traditionally just they'll shove weight into a pre-molded pocket. They'll yes. sort of glue it in. Yes, uh, exactly. I think a, a lot of people, if you, if you take a magnet to your aircraft at home, you may be surprised how many um, how manufacturers use there's ballast somewhere in the airplane. Um, we just wanted, to, if it's going to be in there, we want to give customers the option to play with it. Right? Right. Part I think a lot of, just because the model's big doesn't mean that we're, we're not going to want to play with this thing. Right. Um, we've, yeah. I don't have a little scale. Do you know how much each one of these weights weigh? Uh, I don't off the top of my head. I have the, the total for <laughs> four that we put in. Yeah, it's like, it's nothing. Yeah, I um, mean, you know. I mean, they got some, you know, they got some weight to them. But I'm just trying to wonder, like, you know, what, because there's four pre-installed, mm-hmm. just how much yeah. weight is in the front. Because, again, when we went out there, I, the second we put the 5,000 in, I was just like, go all the way up front, start from there, and, oh, yeah. CJ. Perfect. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have uh, George Some Baker. Jet, we, oh, go ahead. No, I was just say George. Jo- George Baker has uh, joined us. I did watch his build video. Uh, so that's where that's I George. actually. Did anyone watch my build video? I didn't. I watched you guys' <laughs> flight video, but yeah. I didn't watch the build video. But I did watch George's uh, build video, and you know that that's where I first really got the, the the glimpse of the prop which you have in front of you. And we're going to talk about right now of how well built it is. And again, Alpha, uh, you might have mentioned earlier a lot of the bigger Corsairs used to eat props pretty pretty bad. So you guys really yeah. went back to the design board and redid the prop. Not only does it look fantastic, but what you have done with the uh, the metal inside of it is that's a really ingenious idea. James is showing it here on the camera if you want to talk about it. Yeah, so so this Corsair uses an 18 by 12 prop. That is you scale huge. it out, it works out to be, works out to be right about 90% scale. Um, wow. It's actually bigger than you know, I've got a couple of FMS 1700s back in storage in California, and that one's got a smaller prop. So it was important to us to use a properly scaled prop. Um, I would rather have people sort of come back and say, I'm, I'm chipping tips than, say, the propeller's too small. Mm-hmm. And so with that understanding, we were going to approach it with a big 18 by 12. We knew that we needed to, to build it strong. So as James is sort of showing you, we designed... Again, this isn't rocket science. We're not really reinventing the wheel per se. We're just taking what we've learned. Yes. We've been in the business for a while now and, and sort of seen the advancement of this category of hobby. We've taken a two-part hub that then encapsulates those three blades. And then if James would turn that propeller hub around to show us the back of it, it sandwiches in an integrated aluminum bracer. So it doesn't rely purely on screws, purely on friction or, or, right. or anything. It relies on an entire system of alignment, strength, load sharing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then we've got screws that, again, um, go between. So the, the end result is a sandwiched hub that uses both the, the FRP plastic and these two sandwiches of aluminum. Plus, then you have your, your 
your prototypical, your standard uh, prop hub and whatnot to get it on. So all of those things give you give you two things. OCD happy with this because everything just fits. Because it it, it clicks in, right? So (laughs) we're sort of flexing a little bit, right? Our our our, if you're going to put a bracer plate behind something that's plastic, why make it a flush to flush joint? Yes, you have screws going between that connecting the two, but why not? wrap that plastic around the metal. Yeah. Um, it, it adds just another layer of, of load sharing. Um, so that's what we did here. And it allows us again to spin the prop at certain RPM. It has a wider tolerance for a wider toleration for out of balance props. That's, uh, we recognize a lot of people just throw them on and fly them. I can't yes. expect everyone to always balance. So, you know, instead of forcing people to say, have to balance it every single time which disclaimer that is what we recommend um we we still wanted to approach the aircraft how most people would approach it which is they just want to bolt it together and fly yeah Um, so so that was my other next question that somebody else brought up you know on a prop that big you know and putting it together with that many pieces i mean was it a it was it tough to get it the best you could balanced, you know, out of the box is like you say, I'm one of the worst people. I pull it out, throw it on, I go fly. And you generally, you can tell right away on a prop that big, yeah. if it's out of balance. Well, James can tell you, cause I think he just threw it together and flew it. Right. James? <laughs> yeah. We, we didn't, we didn't do any balancing. He gave us no time. I got the plane. I think I got the plane Wednesday night and oh, the wow. video was live Monday doing the premiere so wow. yeah got lucky with the weather got lucky that patrick <laughs> didn't have work and he could you know help us out and you know it all came together so awesome. we had no time for anything but getting yeah. out here with it that's awesome right okay so my, my other question is i'm being like this real consumer here because i'm very interested in this airplane <laughs> again where we fly a lot of times we have uh, some nose overs uh on some rough landings or anything and with the prop being that big you might have a tendency to get some prop strikes. So again, with that huge beefy hub, I'm sure you guys have tested what generally breaks, you know, when you get a prop strike and, and what do the replacement parts, is it just the props or do you get the hub assembly and props? How does that work for replacement? Our props are clean. We did not experience any of yeah, that. No strike. About 12 times that day wow. to do the video. Yeah, the- and uh, not once did Patrick touch them they look still look brand new yeah he's a yeah, good the pilot, load though. calc will be if you break something they'll break at the root first okay um, we we do i think this is standard for for this isn't special to us but we 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 like everyone else does an assessment if something's gonna break if and when i should say right. you know what's gonna break first what's gonna break second what's gonna break third yes um you know, that's why say pins and 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 in retract assemblies they're they're not all steel if they were all perfect steel then then the, the the load would pull the retract out of the foam right something has to give correct and when that when that thing breaks you want it to be ideally the most easily accessible thing so on on our prop assembly it's the blade itself um it, it should be breaking it should be shearing at the root if you hit in which case you're only out a blade yes this is common fms and some of the others have been using single blades for a while now, as as have we, that's right. one of the advantages is you can if you crack a blade, you're swapping a blade. Yeah. Uh, you asked about the hub. Yeah, I, getting down into the hub or or breaking the shaft. There's frankly for you to have shorn anything else in that assembly, you've got bigger problems than a blade. I mean, the aircraft probably came down vertically. Yes, hovering for 
dirt nap. You know, your typical load you're going to see coming as you're landing. Um, even if you're at landing speed without flaps and you were to nose over there, mm-hmm. all of that force isn't going to transfer itself down into, say, the profit after the motor shaft itself. You know, one of the plastic parts up front is going to break. And again, it, it, it should be that way. Those are the cheapest parts to replace. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, somewhere here too. Uh, does it come was, with uh, extra prop by any chance? Uh, George says it does come with uh, an extra, extra blade or, and all four weights that's exactly. What I mean, extra, yeah, a yep. blade, not a prop. And yeah. jo- George also yeah. said that the weights are three quarters of an ounce each. So there you have it. Thanks, George. Thanks, George. <laughs> he also <laughs> wants to mention. Lo- we that cursor off his face. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. You do that a lot. I know. I, I don't notice it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. What else can we talk about? How about fit and finish? I was, again, watching oh. George's uh, build video. The, the fit and finish, especially the finish of this airplane, looks amazing. I mean, just the little details. We've already talked about, you know, the uh, the vents going all the way through. The window on the bottom. The window on the bottom. Uh and the, just the little tiny details, it, it, it's hard to see on camera, Mike, but he, just maybe James can hold up on the wing a little bit and show some of the detail. The panel lines, it has a lot of uh, little rivet details all over rivet it. and whatnot, yeah. Uh, the exhaust. On the top of the wing there, James. So the top of the wing on the Corsair, as probably a lot of our listeners know, Corsair was one of the final aircraft that still used fabric-covered control surfaces, uh, flying surfaces, and and yet it also began to incorporate flush riveting. So we tried to depict that with this aircraft. Mm-hmm. Certain areas have raised panel lines. Certain areas have have uh, have depressed panel lines, and yes. so it gives it, it breaks up the surface um, where it's not just all depressed panel lines and they're not all raised, right? There should be some variation there. Right. Especially, we know, for guys coming in with or who are going to be painting and detailing, it gives them just a little more surface and something to play with for visual interest. Yeah. Then you notice what we did with the flaps, instead of just cutting the foam, you know, these these are these are uh, concealed flaps. So as that control surface, if James were to use your fingers for the servos real quickly to deploy that flap, you'll see you're not going to see exposed white foam, right? Yes. You're still going to see a fully painted part. People don't nice. maybe realize, but the, the wing we're seeing here, that wing half, there are over 12 sub-assemblies of foam here. Wow. In, what, in, in one wing half, right? It's not just one piece of wing that then we hinge. And they're each control surface, the aileron and all three separate foam surfaces, they are aligned with carbon rods inside them. We use mm-hmm. nylon hinges. And then, of course, all the hardware and the plywood and the aluminum that we talked about before that's hidden inside the wing. So mm-hmm. all of that detail, so to speak, that isn't seen um, still impacts the, the performance of the aircraft. And James, show us the leading edge near the gun ports, if you would. The, the gun ports, we talked about the oil coolers there, but yep. um, the gun ports are plastic. And again, as a nod to our, our customers, who we know are detailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be posting in Hobby Squawk in the next, probably after this podcast. That plastic piece you see there that's inside the foam behind it is hollow. So we purposely, we arrange the, the, the foam ribs and the plywood ribs inside the wing where anyone who took a drill bit, they could drill those plastic, um, the, the plastic gun ports out and insert LEDs. You know, we sell the Mr. RC sound system that has a function where you can synchronize LEDs to machine gun sounds. 
And instead of hacking into the foam and tearing the wing apart, we made a nice little way for DIY hobbyists to install LEDs in here very, very simply. Wow. So for those details, which you can't see again, you just need to jump hobby squawk or we can give them to you as well as just the rivets and all those other types of surface details that again, is really nothing new in the hobby these days, mm-hmm. but, but it's something you wanted to, to bring in sparingly uh, to the Corsair where we could. I like on the fuselage there uh, underneath. I like how we've got plastic. Um, actually, this is a nice tip. So James, if you show us the, the underside of the fuselage there, the exhaust stacks. Sure. Uh, wh- whistles and machine that. guns. I yeah. love it. Yeah, Mike loves it. Whistles and machine guns. He's all about it. Yeah, yeah. Whistles, machine guns, and speaking about whistles, so these these um you got the back fire ports in the middle. Obviously, those are those aren't painted on the real aircraft, so they're still gray. Mm-hmm. The, the the exhaust stacks on either end, those are plastic. And James, um, I don't know if you if it made it to your version, uh, but underneath this plastic. We can again post pictures more, but underneath this plastic, it's just foam. And that's actually the chamber where airflow comes in uh, past the motor and past the ESC. Okay. In here. So for people, yeah, in there. So people who want to add an additional sort of layer of yep. sound, the tip is you you cut that foam that's behind that plastic. And they're oh. specifically sized. Can I, can I see you through it, James? Can you see I, me through it? Yeah, I don't think there's, there's, a, there's a plywood plate there, but... I didn't know if you're trying to look through it, but the point here guys is that with a little bit of, with a minute of modding, um, you can cut a hole, put that plastic piece back on and the airflow now exiting that gives you another tone. Um, You two, three, four tones of, of sound. It's sort of analogous to if you were to blow over a, over a, a, a a Coke bottle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, get that deep sound, the same thing. So, Again, yeah, you can. <laughs> I wish I got a real sound there. That would be amazing. Yeah. Individually, they're not world breaking, but they're small things that we, we hope people appreciate. We, we certainly think people will discover and be able to play with. And again, it just adds more to it than just being another Corsair. Mm-hmm. Um, been a lot of Corsairs out there, and as we've seen with this one, we're really trying to redefine the classic. I, I'm not going to make another Corsair for the next eight or nine years. The current batch has been out for years. This is sort of our statement heading into the future. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, I got a real quick kind of off the topic question, but I the reason it popped up, I was looking at some, I was digging for some old photos the other day, and I found a couple photos of way back in the day I had one of the original Park Zone FW190 uh warbirds and I don't know if you remember these alpha but it was one of my favorite planes it was I think made out of EPS back in the day it looked great flew terrible but was one of my favorite planes now my question is that plane at the time had a lot of um uh I guess painted weathering detail on it, you know, as far as the exhaust uh, coming down the side and everything. But I'm curious on today is, is that something that you guys have ever looked at with doing a, just maybe a little bit more detail as far as weathering, uh, not getting real depth, you know, but like a yeah. little bit of exhaust, um, some, you know, some, uh, something coming off the guns or just a little bit of weathering here and there. Is that anything that you guys have looked into or is it something that the consumer fairly easily on their own? Yeah. Or is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've looked at it a little bit, but 
but and some people have said that's kind of neat but but more often than not people prefer to, to do it themselves okay what we're seeing in fact is a lot of people are saying are seeing now that we're including different decals which is something we've done for for years now going back to the p38 but we're including different decals it really gives people the opportunity to pick their decal uh, pick their marking and then also sort of pick the level or the degree to which they're weathering their aircraft or in a lot of cases repainting them entirely mm-hmm. so it's sort of a production step that i think a lot of people would just end up painting over or or maybe saying it's 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 too far gone. Yeah. Also understand it, it, I'm, I'm here in China I'm with the factory. We're teaching them. We're teaching them sort of, if you look at our P15, a P15, sorry. And even the recent F22, Stink I think a lot of our paint apps are getting better as far as um, the subtlety in shading, but, but we're still, I think we're still a ways off. Hey, there she is. <laughs> still a ways off in far of, in, as far of us saying, Hey, you know, take an entire shipment and I want you to add exhaust to a certain degree. It is very much subjective, but what yes. we hope the hope is that people, um, for that aircraft, for the F4U dash one, a, we've got the markings for both James cup, uh, and Kenneth Walsh, both of whom are Marines, uh, and both of whom are, are aces. And we hope that people again, read up about the, the aircraft. There's reference photos of the real planes and, and these men operating their aircraft in World War II. And that they can actually match match the match the degree of weathering specifically to the aircraft they're trying to detect. Um, so that's sort of the, the hope that people buy into and, and really have fun personalizing the model. We want to leave it to them. Well, poor James. The one, people that didn't see your build video, I feel like I'm getting to watch it right now, <laughs> which is kind of cool. <laughs> poor James has got to rebuild this. Build video. <laughs> I know. And then That's for you. Before, for you. <laughs> before we go a little further, since you have the wing apart, I had a question regarding where the CG's located on the wing when you were to hold it. Like, what? Where's the placement for that? A uh, hundred millimeters back from the leading edge. Okay. So roughly, just kind of, if you can kind of show us, really, that, yeah. There are two. There are two. Um, you know, panel lines. Okay. Right, you're going to be right about there. Okay, that's. I had my. I had my millimeter. I don't know where it, it is. It right just now. had to be roughly. I was just wondering what visually where it would be located. So that's. that's yeah, good visually you're going to be right. Right in that area. Right then here. you can always measure. I held it upside actually, down, probably right at the top of where I put the sticker. Okay, that's with, a good uh, idea. Yeah. There and you know, bang. Sweet. It, we were right there. Uh, Nick, we cheated actually with where we put the panel line. We we sort of bumped it around so that we could get it where people we could just say put it uh, on the panel line. Yes, yep, that's <laughs> good idea. Awesome. Uh, Nick, one know if we get a Corsair, we're going where are we going to put it in the studio, Mike? Because it's kind of full. Trust me, we'll, we'll put it where the we, monitor is. We and will, Andre yeah, will yeah, don't worry <laughs> about Andre. <laughs> we'll forget Andre the Corsair. <laughs> we will hang it in the studio. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> we'll set the cow right in that's the right. cup and it'll sit vertically right there. No problem. Perfect. We will make it fit. <laughs> that is not a problem. It's like ice cream. Yeah, well, got always that. room for ice cream. Yes. <laughs> Mike knows all well, about that. Well, I got the wing apart, though, if you want to see the, how it's connected. That is awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot going on. Oh, yeah. The Those little connection boards. That's cool. Inlays. So, you know, and then an easily removable. I like the uh, the spar. There is definitely like a stopper in there, so you can't be yep. wrong yep. about, you know. Yes, you're poking it through yeah. the foam. Yeah. Actually, while yeah. we're looking at the wiring, uh, Chuck Pierce put in a comment asking, you know, uh, 
if you guys have had any recent issues with the with the boards, because he said he had an A10 losing aileron and he traced it back to a board. Um, so is this something that people who are in more damn climates um, should pay attention to as well, like just the connections and stuff? Especially I, really, since this, I really like that question. <laughs> especially since um, this is probably a plane which you're probably going to be taking the wing on and off of for transport yeah. in most cars, I suspect. Yeah. Um, it might fit, yeah. actually. I'd have to look. But is this something we should be paying attention to? Because, I mean, more and more of our planes are coming equipped with these boards, which are fantastic because we're going to get to a point where you're, you know, they're going to be intelligent enough that you're going to have, like, one cable, you know, a bus cable running between the board and your receiver, and that's it. But, you know, is this something that we want to do, a little dialect grease still? Oh, there it is there. James is holding up that the, the controller box. But is this something we're going to want to consider running some dialect grease to and stuff like this in the future? Yeah, dielectric grease is definitely not something that I think is necessary. Keep in mind, guys, we, I'm, I'm here in China where we, we average like 85% humidity and it's 100 degrees almost every day. So, so um, it's a very wet climate. Suffice to say that as part as I think to, 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 to this guy's question, he's, he's right on. I mean, the receiver that we've got in an aircraft, um, it is just as open to an environment as this MFCB. Uh, which is what we're calling the blue box, the multifunction uh, control board. So in the sense that if, if you thought that moisture is, is such an issue in your in your given climate, that it's a, it, it may affect an MFCB, I would say that logic would apply to your receiver. Um, conversely, if, if you're in an area where you don't suspect your receiver is rusting or, 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 or having issues with condensation, then I would say the MFCB's condition would be the same. Um, I think to the core of his question, though, is, is, is there a trade-off between convenience and maintenance, um, between usability and sort, of, and sort of risk? And to that, I'd say yes. Um, there were times, times past, uh, where if you wanted to attach a wing, you were attaching six or seven servo connections. And every time you did that, you had, say, 12 or more per side. Retract, flaps, um, mm-hmm. surfaces, LEDs, you know, et cetera. So, into a so, so, so one could say, and I, in fact, we have the data from when we used to sell aircraft that, that required people to do 12 connections on the wing every time they wanted to fly. We have the data of, of those connector-centric um, failures and now a lot of data on MFCB or these flexible wire harness centric um, failures. And, and so far, it, it's far and away more convenient and more dependable having this MFCB. Um, we rolled out the MFCB, the sort of blue box four years ago now is when the first one came out. And through the teething issues and through collecting feedback from customers on, on uh, this servo, when I, when I put the connection in there, it tears up a servo pad. Sorry, it tears up a solder pad all the way towards it gets wet or it's very cold. Um, we've collected a lot of feedback for years. The MFCB in its current iteration, and the reason why we decided to roll those out in two, um, in two sets and we'll be backdating those towards a lot of aircraft that we've already released is because we've gotten to the point where it's a product that suffice to say we can stand behind. We can say, this is what's in your aircraft. It takes you a minute to get your wing off. And again, if you have any issue, 
If any issue does develop um, in the course of your ownership of the aircraft, if you're under warranty, give us a call, you're covered. Um, if you, if anything happens along the way, again, we're, we're here for, to collect that feedback. But so far we haven't seen anything big. Um, I will say that one of the reasons why, James, if you show them that PCB in the wing while we're talking about it just one more time, yeah. one of the reasons why we, we use the MSCB and the connection apparatus we do is because you still have that hard connection server to PCB, but there's no load on the wire itself because we use the flexible harness. So when we talk about du duty cycles on swapping, uh, on plugging wings in and out and in and out and in and out, um, again, we test for thousands and thousands and thousands of cycles. Um, and we, in fact, plug those things until the pads wear out. So mm. um, I think I'm confident enough to say that while nothing's perfect, and we will always, we always anticipate having someone have an issue with any, every, anything that we would bring to market. Um, on the whole, the data suggests that people are, on the whole, you're gonna be safer and you're not sacrificing, the, again, the convenience we want to bring uh, to the hobby as far as just going up and flying and knowing within a reasonable window that it's not gonna come down on you. Interesting. Uh, I have another question for you, Alpha, and uh, this one's kind of unique. I think the Corsair, at least to the RC models, most of all the Corsair models I've had, uh, when you're out flying in a little bit of wind, they've all had this little bit of, uh, we used to call it the, the Corsair uh, tail wiggle, where the wind would kind of hit it and it always had a little wiggle uh, onto the tail. It was very distinctive. I'm just curious on this bigger, larger, heavier size Corsair. Did you guys get any of that on this too? And winds, yeah. Flying in wind? Oh, not at all. Not at um, all. I'd say that um, it's the scale nuts who will really scrutinize the, the airplane and scrutinize Pat's flights and, and soon to come George's flights, you'll notice, and of course, when you receive the Corsair yourselves, you'll notice that our, our, our empennage is, is, isn't oversized. A lot of models in the hobby, a lot of warbirds in the hobby use oversized um tails, the, the mm -hmm. tail group, empennage, whatever you want to call it. The vertical and the horizontal stabs typically are oversized. There's a lot of reasons for this. Um, I won't bore everyone with it, but it's, a, it's basically a simple way to make the airplane fly better, right? Bigger rudder makes sense. It's going to be more stable, right? Um, however, there's, there are obvious negative effects, effects, not just in terms of scale fidelity, but also in terms of exacerbating wiggles or instability at certain attitudes. I'm, I'm not going to say definitively that is what has plagued other Corsairs. Mm -hmm. um, I've certainly had a lot that fly amazingly. I'm the E-Flight Corsair comes to mind. I, I love that aircraft and yes. how it flies. Yep. Um, but suffice to say with our aircraft, a lot of the reasons we were talking about CG and weight and ballast earlier, everything works in concert. So the reason why the aircraft is as it is, is we didn't release it until it flew how we wanted it to fly. And certainly a, a, a wiggling warbird is not something we'd bring to market. Um, this model's been out. We haven't talked about this yet. This model's been in development for, for a long time, a lot oh. longer than, than a lot of our other aircraft. And um, while some might say, why did you do a Corsair? Well, to that I'd say, well, we did a Russian LA-7 and a German TA-152 no one's done before. And, we did a B-24 and a Lippish P-15, I'm pretty sure no one knew about before we released it. Now, we've done our fair share of off-the-cuff um, <laughs> aircraft, and all along, we've been trying to get this Corsair right. 
Ah. Uh, and, and, and I think it is. And that's why we're talking about it today instead of last month and instead of next month, you know. Cookies are done when they're done. Huh? Uh. <laughs> I'm uh. hungry. <laughs> um, now that you're mentioning cookies. I forget what I was going to say now. I got completely <laughs> off topic here. Oh, you were going to ask to see the uh, you're going to ask to see the molded in detail inside the main gear bay that we did, especially yes. for you. There we go. Yeah, but yeah, you can't right now because James doesn't have the wing strapped on yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. Poor James, James. To, to pry it open with his finger just to show them. He, he poor, poor James never knew that a podcast was this much work. How fast can I go? Uh, How can fast you, can it go? Yeah. James, can you talk and build it at the same time? Is that good? I, I think so, Okay. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, you do you have some flight time on the Corsair yourself? I did not get a chance oh. to fly it. I was planning on going today after this and okay. take it myself. When we went out, it, you know, we go out for video. Yes. I, all the time I can to be out there, I want to be behind the camera right. to make sure I have as many you know, cuts as I need and many flights as I need to make sure that, you know, our hype video looks good because the yep. hype video, obviously, for three minutes, it's a commercial. So you want to make sure yes. you're trying to get the perfect roll, the perfect loop. And then the flight review, you know, you're trying to, in one flight, without being too long, trying to get the pilot to at least do one of each thing that somebody yes. would want to see right. it fly, you know? Right. When you're and, flying something like the F-22, it was, all right, we're going to do a full slow flight. We're going to yeah. do a full fast flight. We're going to do a full aerobatic flight because a jet, you know, three minutes, you're up and down. But with this thing, it was like, all right, we got we got eight, nine minutes. Yeah. With good throttle management. We should be able, all right, let's come through this pass. Give me one nice slow roll. You know, give me one nice, you know, Immelman. Give me a nice uh, stall turn. And, you know, you're just trying to get it. You don't have to be perfect, but you know, right? Just want to try as many times you can, and then again, like I said, we only had what five days to get all the media that we wanted to get done done. Right. So, and uh, and props to pilot Patrick. He really made this plane look good. Like I, I'm obviously a Corsair in general. If it's done right, gonna fly good. But just watching how smooth he was, how how good he made the plane look as far as his maneuvers, the landings. Oh, that was another thing, James, that really I was amazed. Uh, it didn't look like it was very windy. And one notch of flaps and just barely up to half throttle and less than probably 20 feet, that bird was, I mean, Mike, the video, just right off the ground, just smooth as can be. I was amazed at, the sh at how short of a takeoff it was. With not even full power, he just eased the power up, Mike, up to about 50%, 20 feet, and it was off the ground, just super smooth. So it must have... Yeah, funny, yeah. The whole time we were doing the takeoffs off the pavement, and then as we were going to do, we actually filmed the flight review and we forgot to put the GoPro on his chest oh. and we're like oh everybody loves to see you know to see your stick so let's do it again and then he's like oh i haven't even done any grass takeoffs so i was like you know what for this take it off of grass and you know land it on grass because people want to see that anyway we know yes. it can uh you know we know it can take off from pavement just fine so uh he went right off yeah i was actually that was the first in the flight review that was the first time i saw it pop right off the of grass i'm like okay no problem yeah there. wow it's that got was more than enough you know thrust to get Right. No problem. And also, I, I, it's funny because even though it's it's larger, you can fly it in a pretty small space, you know, if you want to. Yes. I mean, our field at the down here, if you guys notice, it's a fishbowl, you know, mm -hmm. like you can 
if you're gonna if you're gonna do high speed passes, you got to come up over the trees and down into the field, cross the runway and back up and out. But if you want to, you can hang within, you know, probably have, like a football field. Because it's good slope flying. All oh, the slow slow well, flight, which is not typical. Yeah, warbirds probably. No, I so. mean gear down, full flaps. This thing, I couldn't believe how how, how well slow it slowed down. I, awesome. I was really amazed. So, Alpha, that kind of brings me up to my other question. Since James didn't get behind the sticks, somebody moving up from an eleven hundred or twelve hundred millimeter warbird, whether it be E flight or FMS or something like that wants to get in something bigger like this you know obviously it's about double the money uh how is it for somebody wanting to step up to the bigger warbird to fly and you know not be like oh my gosh i don't i don't know if i can handle this i thing. know the size is so intimidating but i always yeah. hear that the flying characteristics are always better and yeah it's like it's so scary yeah right yeah no it's a really good question when we think is is a common one right um i think the shortest answer is we talked at the top of the call about how you can't really make, can't make a lot of a single category in a given sort of year, year and a half. This is, this is the big single warbird for the next year, year and a half. And so you, you don't want to ostracize a big part of the market. And a big part of our strategy again is growing the hobby. So it's really about making our aircraft as appealing and safe to operate to someone who's trying to get up into them than than just catering to experts. So the F-22 and the Corsair are great examples of, yeah, that's a big, fast jet. Yeah, that's a big warbird. But it's as simple a big, fast jet and as accessible a, a big-scale warbird as someone's going to get. Um, you're not going to get a warbird that's going to land as gently as this one. I think uh, there's a part in one of our videos where I'm banking. I'm at... I'm at full bank, right? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I am perpendicular to the ground, full mm -hmm. elevator, turn around, roll completely perpendicular to the ground again, full elevator. I'm flying basically a figure eight parallel to the ground in a very narrow space, mm -hmm. 50 yards, maybe 50 yards. And we did that video to show people at 50 to 60% throttle, which is where the aircraft cruises very comfortably. Right. You're able to, to, to get the aircraft, you know, most people, for beginners, they tell you don't get the wing perpendicular to the ground. Probably not going to be a good thing, right? right. Especially on a war. <laughs> yes. Um, but we wanted to show that this aircraft is not going to snap and bite you. Um, and, and within reason, you can fly it sort of, we, we use the term wide envelope. Um, that's inclusive of both those, those higher skilled pilots and those people who are they're coming from that E-Flight Corsair. Mm -hmm. Coming from a Park Zone C-28, they're coming from a Dynam Hurricane, and they want to get into a bigger warbird. As far as, you know, your options out there, the nice thing about the Corsair uh, is that it's got wide, it's got a wide stance. Yes. T-47 from FMS, uh, the, this flight line Corsair, wide stance is really helpful. Spitfires, beautiful planes, but I think we talked about when it came out a little while ago, it, it has a narrow stance. So that's an aircraft typically we... We sort of encourage uh, new warbird, new big warbird customers to sort of wait for. But something like the Corsair, as James showed in his videos, short takeoff, minimal rudder input, mm -hmm. and a very mild stall. I mean, that's as simple as you can get in a low wing tail dragger. Yeah, and also Patrick was saying, because I asked him, he, he also owns a Flightline Spitfire, and so do I. Um, that's the one that I'm learning on. And, you know, I asked him, how, how does it behave on the ground versus 
you know, Spitfire, and he's like, yeah, obviously, yeah, the stance is gonna just, it's, you know, give that wide. added level of comfort. You know, mm-hmm. the Spitfire can be, you know, bit yes. of a handful sometimes, yes. depending on you know how you manage your, uh, you know, yep. on the ground. Oh well, we've got the bird upside down. Let's. Well, we can just. It's going to be difficult to see on camera, but I encourage people to talk about the details that we put into the aircraft. Small things, not world breaking, but we think something that really hasn't been done a lot in the main bays of the aircraft, both and the foam itself. Yeah. You've got raised panel lining inside the wheel well and on the doors themselves, the doors themselves are also molded instead of just molding the shape itself. We went in and, and added some of the detail based on our reference material. Um, of some of the the shapes and sort of features on the plastic door. So again, uh, imagine that hit with green. We didn't paint them because the Corsairs had a lot of variation between salmon colored primers, uh, zinc gr- chromate primers, interior greens, and then also just gray. So for the modeler out there who wants to take it the extra step, you can go in and again, added surface detail. It takes detail washes, et cetera. And then, James, can you show us? This is fun. Can you show us the the aircraft nose in? Uh, I want to show them the wingtip, the upsweep on the on the wingtip. Upside down or uh, level? Level, level head in towards me. Yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> He's getting a workout. No, no. <laughs> this, this is fun. This is I, I'm I, love, I love putting James in. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> no, this is fun. So show us the wingtip, James. Wingtip. Um, so on the wingtip, this is this this is going to fall under sort of well the wingtip if we could see it head on. So if the wingtip is coming right for us, yeah. So the fun thing about this is again a minor thing only scale enthusiasts may notice, but on the P thirty eight we we didn't upsweep the tips. The Corsair and the P thirty eight, there are certain models, thanks James, um, have a very distinct upsweep on the underside of the wingtip. In foam, it's really never been modeled accurately. Mm-hmm. So with this aircraft, we did. And again, maybe zoomed in like this, it's hard to see, but but James, if you back up a little bit, just show us the aircraft in total. Um, there's a distinctive taper from the wing root up into that wingtip. So yes. it's one of those things, I think, when people look at it and say, <laughs> it looks real. Where's Vanna White? They may not, you're working out, buddy. You, yeah. you can hold it. <laughs> they, they may not be able to always articulate exactly this and that and that's making it real and that's what's making it real but we know that overall the effect that people sort of walk away with is that looks pretty real to me you know um so that's sort of the fun thing about it and then what you're seeing there on the front end we talk about the inside of that plastic cowl but remember that's that was more of a usability thing than anything we talk about nose overs and and falling down for for maybe beginning pilots the fact that the plastic is entirely lined in, uh, the fact that the cowl is entirely lined in plastic allows people to easily swap it out. Um, and again, it's overall resistant to, to damage. So, which is important with a big radial uh, like this. Yeah. Uh, looking at the front uh, radio and everything, uh, does it, it almost looks like it's not getting a ton of airflow through there. So how is most of the cooling getting, you know, through the motor into the ESC? Yeah, good question. So the short answer is it is. Um, with the radial, there's a, there's a balance. And so we, we took a lot of time to measure uh, through you know, proprietary means, measure the amount of air coming in to ensure that it's enough to, it's enough to cool the electronics that are in there, give them meaningful airflow. 
but not too much because again, with the radio, we're already contending with drag. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's already inherently not as slippery as a, as a Mustang or, or say our Spitfire. Yes. It doesn't have a nose cone. And so uh, it is as big as it needs to be and no bigger. Gotcha. So if you sort of see where, where, where he's, you can sort of see there's a gap between the prop hub um, yes. and, and, and that plastic cosmetic engine. So there's airflow in there and then also in here. Yeah. You can't see, but between the plastic and the foam firewall, there are also inlets again to, to let in as much air as we want and need, but, yeah. but no more. Um, right. Getting too much air into the aircraft, of course, you have a problem with getting it out. And if it stays in there, drag city. Yes. So, right. Wow. I love how that prop goes on there. You, it completes the big, the big uh-huh. prop look, you know? Yeah. We'll say for love beginners, that. one thing they'll, they, sh- they should be uh, cognizant about is obviously it's a big prop. So your ground clearance is is going to be less than say um, smaller aircraft that use even so smaller pellets. Right. One, what's, the, what's the minimum channels that this plane needs to fly? I didn't catch that. Good question, Mike. Standard, yeah, standard six. Six, six channels yeah. for minimal. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. it. Aileron, elevator, throttle, rudder, gear, and flaps. Right. The, um, cool. the lights are sequenced by the MSDB. So when the landing gear goes down, the landing light goes on. None of that nice. is mixed externally. All of the gear doors and whatnot are sequenced for the doors to open and, and whatnot. So, yeah, Mikey, if he puts the gear up, you'll see the light go out, which is really cool. Yeah. There, lights out. That is awesome. Oh. And then you could change that if you, you know, there are the MCBE has a bunch of different sequences that you could plug into like a triple flash a single flash Mm -hmm. so you can for adding lights you can really do you know a whole lot more and Stuart had made a video with the l39 where just like if if you want to keep those wingtip lights on all the time maybe you want that for orientation so you know Mm -hmm. you're coming at yourself you know you could you could just run a y lead or something and easily just plug that directly in it'll stay on the whole time right yeah um, I don't think we mentioned it too, but I know on the build video that uh, each plane comes with uh, two different sets of stickers. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Each one's got two. So our the birdcage one James got in front of you has the liveries for for uh, white thirteen, which is sorry white fifteen, which is Lieutenant James Cup. So he flew VMF. Uh, he flew he flew VMF. Uh, 213. This is Guadalcanal, sort of mid-1943. So mm-hmm. this is when, these are early days, right? The right. Corsair was supposed to be supposed to be a carrier bird, and it was designed as a, as a naval bird. When when it first hit the, the scene, <laughs> um, they had issues landing it on carriers. And so the United States Navy actually passed on the aircraft. The Marines took them and had and used them to great effect. Now, Later in the war is actually the British who figured out how to, they figured out a better landing pattern for a Corsair to get it down onto a carrier. Mm-hmm. So it was after that, that then the Navy brought them um, back, brought them into service on carriers. So for the Dash 1, for the Dash 1 Alpha you see here, we really wanted to sort of pay homage to those island hopping campaigners. Um, and so we offer both James Cup and uh, Kenneth Walsh. Kenneth Walsh also flew he flew white 13 and anyone who Googled Kenneth Walsh, he's also an ace and 
actually flew in Korea. He, he flew in Korea, and I believe he flew in F4U-4s and, and down the jet, I mean, of all things. So, um, <laughs> so again, the men be, behind these, the men behind these aircraft are really why we do different decals. We hope that people pour into their history and, and learn more about, you know, the people behind, behind their aircraft. Um, yeah. And that way they keep the history, keep going on. We also, of course, uh, for the, for the dash one Delta, which is your deep sea variant that George featured in his uh, video that I, I didn't send to James, uh, the dash D bubble that uses our classic deep sea blue, same as our tiger cat. Mm-hmm. And we include two sets of decals for black sheep, um, which is white one, six, seven. And then also, um, also, uh, uh, uh uh, a, a carrier group that flew off of the Gloucester. So that's, that's the one that's in sort of my pictures with FF59 and 53 and 75. So, and, and the, Alpha, point, uh, the one has the, the 167 has the yellow cow. That's a sticker that you put over the cow. Uh, no, but thanks for bringing that up. So the reason why the parting line on that plastic cowl is as it is, um, is because again, the plastic cowl is screwed onto the foam. There's no right. glue required here, guys. So, reason why we sort of opted for this delivery is we recognize that for people who want to do white one, six, seven, mm-hmm. their cowl is already going to be separate. So you might as well hit it with some Krylon yellow oh. and throw it on and you have a clean parting line. There's no need to mask the yes. foam. Gotcha. Um, you know, masking, masking a circle, putting a decal around the, the leading edge of a cowl. That's, That'd be tough. That's, that's tough. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, right. So it, it'll be just as simple word. Paint it before you before you screw it on. Yeah, and the that, same goes. There are other liveries with white and, and and other sorts of things. Again, we know people are going to go and customize these things. That's, that's that. Yeah, the other, the other that's reason what we want to see people do. I mean, yeah, Graphics. Right. I mean, she's she's cornered the market on, on right. That. She really has. I love Kelly. It's awesome. And one of the other big reasons why I love the Corsair, Mike. I don't know if you're familiar but they'll some of them were built here in akron at goodyear at oh, one okay. time yeah i heard yeah. that before i think so yeah. a lot of them were built at goodyear actually yeah yep. and alpha i don't know if you can touch a little bit uh i, I don't know the the real backstory you know the of the exact details but um from what i've read and everything too during the design of the corsair it was one of the the real big radio most powerful engines at the time and obviously had that huge prop and the reason the gall wing came to fruition was because of that big motor and prop they needed to get more ground clearance yep yeah it, it used the um it actually used the, the double wash, right? So the Hellcat used the double wash. Mm-hmm. They decided to put, like you said, massive engine, massive prop, yep. and they needed the ground clearance. So that inverted gull wing that the Corsair became known for um, was really an, an outcrop of needing to uh, put that massive Hamilton on on that engine. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, there are other sort of features. I think it's it always interesting to me historically to look at why aircraft end up being shaped the way they end up um, and and why some of those characteristics that become iconic to us visually may have benefited or hampered the aircraft. Like in the Corsair, visibility, you know, zero, right? When, when you're in the landing pattern with that long hose nose, as they called it, there are certain reasons for why the aircraft ended up looking the way it, it, it did for, for good in the case of the gull wing and maybe for bad in the case of the location of the pilot. So 
different iterations of every aircraft, these people under duress of world war continually trying to innovate and optimize their aircraft. To me, that's, that's fascinating history. Yeah. It seems like Adam wants him to do a, yeah, a B-17 because he probably sees the scale detail. Yeah. No one's done that for the B-17. If, if anybody knows Adam, <laughs> yeah, Adam Drain, he's a he huge, was, uh, huge Warbird it. buff, can tell you just about anything about any Warbird in the in the World War II era. Very detail-oriented. And every B-17 that comes miss, out miss, just – Miss something. Yeah, and he'll tell you about it. So, yeah, he's uh, – James, he's telling yeah. you, he'll, again, he'll trade you a B-17 ride uh, if you're going to work on <laughs> a B-17 RC. RC yeah. <laughs> wow. That could be arranged. <laughs> that might be arranged. I think we'll just, just take the Hobby King one and pretend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, It'll man. will be done tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Alpha, I have an interesting question. Again, it was something my, my weird brain thinks of things out of the blue. Uh, being a, uh, a full-scale pilot and obviously flying RC planes, in general, I, I generally like to fly in a little bit of wind. I think it's easier for the takeoff and landings. I kind of know what the plane's going to do with a, with a little bit of wind. I'm curious to know if, again, maybe I'm just being an idiot, but uh, with today's technology – Especially now with the telemetry we have on our radios and the and the built in t- telemetry on the receivers, uh, the talking radios and every and whatnot, is it possible in the near future that we might be starting to see uh, real? And I know they already have them now, but I mean, as far as them integrated in with the telemetry, having pitot tubes with real time airspeed to where you know a lot of times and and people. People that fly RC, they, they realize, you know, what it's like, you know, the airspeed of the airplane if you're flying into the wind or if you got a tailwind or whatever. But a lot of times, even if you have no wind, sometimes it's hard a lot of times to judge, you know, how fast should I come in for the landing? And, you know, I don't want to stall to where we might see some telemetry with real uh, airspeed, you know, uh, coming in for landings or, or just in general flying that, you know, your radio is going to be able to spit out what your airspeed is, or you can set limits on it, you know, before you go into a stall or something That's like that. It, do you see any of yeah, that coming so, in the future? So that capability is, is available. I mean, the Eagle trees, they've got a pedo. You could yep. conceivably set it up. Um, if, if you know your speed, yes. the FR sky radio is, is very intelligent in the sense that it's, you can create if then else statements essentially in, in its programming. Yep. You know, if the speed is less than X, then, you know, give me a stall warning. Right. Um, and it'll beep at you. So, so is that type of functionality available? Yes. Is yes. It, do I see sort of it going mainstream? Um, I don't know. Not, and not because it wouldn't be difficult to do these days, but more because, I wonder if information overload to so use that in a real cockpit, right? You know, if you're in a cub, there's, there's a lot of switches in there. Um, we, we, I, I worry openly about information overload and, and a customer who they just want to, as you said, they just want to know if, if they're at a good sort of, um, landing approach. Mm-hmm. Um, if they've got a telemetry thing spouting at them, stall warning, or you're going too fast or you're going too slow, by the time that information is 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 heard, processed, 
correlated with what you're seeing in the aircraft and then reacted to on your sticks. And then that signal goes back to the aircraft to do something. Time and space has, has passed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think I, I just wonder openly if, if that may end up hurting people more than they think it's going to help them. Trying to react um, to situations. Yeah. Instead of because then, uh, yeah, yeah, being proactive. And another another factor of that, of course, as you know, is that that information, your airspeed, is not is not in a vacuum. Bad phrase, but is is not alone, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just your 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 airspeed, but your attitude and, yeah. and of course the aircraft. Um, and a lot of that in in the case of a model, your typical model airfield. Um, the winds are going to be higher at a certain altitude than they yes. are down low. Yep. Hey, you may get a crosswind last minute. Um, you're, if we if we become too uh, instrument reliant, then we may, well, it didn't give me the stall warning as it began to, to tip, and I was sort of waiting for the stall. I didn't realize that my airspeed was fine, but I was being caught in a downdraft. I was mm-hmm. being pushed, you know, so... All of those things, I, I think, for my students to try to encourage them, learn the aircraft, learn the conditions in which the aircraft flies best, and then, like you said, try and anticipate or preempt um, entering, you know, bad conditions, bad yeah. situations. Right. Um, I think, on the whole, that might happen quicker than telemetry. But mm. I, I will say personally, I I think telemetry as a principle uh, is something that in future is one of those. It's one of those avenues that the hobby has been in, but it's one of those avenues that the hobby that the hobby is and should sort of grow into even more. Mm-hmm. A lot of that data, battery voltage, altitude, certainly with FAA regulations coming down the pipe. I mean, a lot of the things that we can uh, be instructed on in the moment is going to be helpful and and ultimately safe for the hobby and the hobbyist. Yeah, I was just playing with the Admiral, the new Admiral RX uh, 600T or RX 700. The six or seven chats, our latest receiver for fifty bucks. But I mean, plugged it into the spectrum, and you just hit auto config, uh-huh. and you get everything, everything. Wow! You know, like everything you could imagine in one click of a button, mm-hmm. and easily able to set. I, I've never flown with telemetry, and I just had seen on the flight review of this model, somebody said, "Why are you guys still playing with timers and stuff? Why don't you just connect, you know, telemetry? <laughs> yeah. So you got your voltage and you just fly until you can hit three point eight or something." I'm like, you know, that's smart. Right. It's old, old habits. <laughs> old habits die hard. I'm going to be like, new to tele- telemetry. Yeah, <laughs> telemetry as well. How many times do I fly? Or... You know, the Spitfire is the type of model where you know I'll fly it and I think I'm pushing it. Mm-hmm. And I'll land it, and I'll check, and I got like forty percent. And I'm like, yeah. man, I could've been up. Why'd I land? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. And now I'm not. You know, now I'm gonna go charge my pack. It, now I'm. I just put. It, I popped it in a Bearcat. Just I'm gonna make a video for it because it was so, so simple to do. But you're getting air airspeed guys who do thermal. There's Vario. Yep. Um, all built in. It's yeah. it's pretty pretty uh you know well thought out and simple yes as could be yeah. uh, i think it's it like 50 bucks and you're getting everything you need you yeah. know for your aircraft now right. if they can just do that with the built-in gyro mm-hmm. then you've got a home run out of the park yeah i have a a, a question that us, one of our our viewers is asking i'm not i don't understand the question maybe you can enlighten it but he's asked it twice now from bill decker it says, uh, "Where did Project Five Eyes come from?" So I'm not—I don't know yeah. what that means or what, what he's asking there. I, I answered him in the comments. Okay. Yeah. So I'll I'll say it aloud for the listeners. But um, 
so each each project that we develop, and this is this is every project. This is from that gyro receiver that no one asked about all the way to this aircraft. Um, big and small, we organize things by project. It, it makes it simpler internally for us to communicate with the given project because, again, at any moment we've got 15 to 20 different things going, um, and also gives us a, a, a bit of a bit of uh, secrecy. So that's you know, two sort of reasons why we do it. Also, sort of practically, people may not realize, but again, I'm communicating. This is three different languages, right? And so. When you get into F4U-1A, I mean, that's that's a, that's a long designation for non-native speakers to be saying every single time. And so for all those reasons, um, we give project names. This okay. aircraft's project name was, was Project Five Eyes. Um, now, another, another element of those projects is I make them all, and so they tend to have some sort of some sort of inside um, me. They're a mix. <laughs> exactly. They're a mix of they're a mix of history. They're a mix of personal meaning, in which case no one would ever guess. Um, sure. there's, there's a mix of everything. So five eyes, uh, and one of the hints for five eyes. We play a game on Hobby Squawk. People sort of want to guess from time to time, and uh, and so with the caveat that of course I'm never actually going to tell them if they're right. Yeah. Um, we let them play along and. And they break out Wikipedia and whatnot. But um, Five Eyes, the, one of the hints was it is not, it's spoken, not spelled. So Five Eyes is actually five capital I's, which in Roman numerals is, if you imagine, five bars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, five Eyes. And the reason why we called this aircraft Project Five Eyes is if you take, so the first two I's, put a colon after that, right? And then after the fourth I, you put a second colon. So you have I, I, colon, I, I, colon, I. So in World War II, you have a kill ratio of 11 to 1. Mm, for the Corsair, right? yeah, right. For the Corsair. Yep. So, so, so the hint was Project Five Eyes, spell, uh, spoken, not spelled. Okay, it's five eyes. If you wrote them out, like you took a pencil and just wrote five eyes and thought, well, we knew it's a warbird because we told them it's flight line. Um, it's typically World War II, so let's imagine that two of those strikes is World War II. Now you have one, one, one. Anyone who knows the Corsair knows it's known for having an eleven to one uh, arrow victory ratio. That's so, deep. That's why. You know, that's deep. It reminds, wow. me, it reminds me of that comedian doing the eighteen wheelers and Roman rules, <laughs> and then goes backwards. He's like, I, I, yeah, I. I, I, I. <laughs> so that's why you know this, we, we we tell people look don't don't be surprised if there is no chance of you guessing they're not made for people to guess them obviously um they're they're just they're just for fun they're just for fun that i showed them foil was a great one project foil was the raptor raptor um a foil another word for foil is a rapier or they're in the same class of sword right talking mm. about airplanes Talk about weapons are the same thing. So foil goes to rapier. Rapier was the original project name for the Raptor. I feel like I'm in an escape room. Me and Chad's well, family yeah, did an no. escape room. and we, <laughs> Thanks to him, we broke the uh, record for the uh, escape the president's bunker or something oh, up in Akron not too long ago. It was a good time, though. Uh, uh, but he can figure out those, yeah. those clues uh, unbelievably, I'm thinking too much into yeah, them and yeah. stuff. It's like, oh man, that's, that's that's the thing we tell people: don't overthink, don't understand. Yeah, you know? yeah. Wow, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, and then also it was the type of thing when I first got hired. Al- Alfred told me 
you know, all these project names he's got. And <laughs> he had made them sort of public on Hobby Squawk, but I'm right. like, why don't we bring that? You know, obviously I got hired to try to, you know, get Motion RC, make more people find Motion RC, yeah. you know? So utilizing social media, utilizing uh, YouTube, just, you know, in the best of our ability with what we have. And I'm like, why don't we use these names? I mean, you're doing it anyway. You're calling mm-hmm. them that. And, you know, yeah. let's, let's have fun with them public. So, yeah. You know, I didn't want to make it where we would ever drop a teaser six months before something releases. We do it 24 hours yeah. before anybody <laughs> yeah. knows it's coming. Right. We drop a teaser and you get a bunch of people, you know, still people complain. Oh, why did they do this? I was like, you'll have to wait 24 hours. Yeah, right. Like yeah. I told you a year ago. Yeah. But, right. uh, you know, but yeah, just a good way that. to have fun with it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You got to have a little fun with everybody. It's it's fun. One of my um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of my one of my my favorite ones was Project Machat um, because Mike Machat, a friend of ours, and Tony and Evelyn Akershos, mm. uh, who's an aviation artist, yep. one of our customers. He, uh, so I don't think anyone would ever ever guess this, but but he is the person who uh, came up with the name for the Thunder Chief, Project Machat was the F-105 Thunder Chief. And long ago, 50 years ago, whenever it was, he had submitted a name to his uncle who was working with Republic at the time. And so it's one of our personal ways of, of again, remembering history as it was and, and sort of spotlighting um, the, the, the people behind these aircraft. So. Which and I no want to get, the, I wanna get that out with you again, the F-105. So oh, bad. We've got it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's That's hanging awesome. up in the oh, studio yeah. there. Yeah. I love the simplicity and how well this thing is. It's yeah. awesome. Uh, one thing maybe we'll touch on real quick before we let you guys go. I don't think we've talked about it. One is price. And two, obviously we know they are pre-order. But when are these planes going to get in everybody's hands? Yeah. Uh, right now, price is three ninety nine. Three ninety nine. So pre order, and it's looking like about late January will be the arrival of the first batch. Late yep. January. You know. Okay. And yeah, the first you know, batch left a little about... early, but we like to be. You know. Yeah. Oh, I wish late I had a birthday in February. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you know what to ask for. Right. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, honey, can you get me this? Yes, yeah. it'd be really nice. Um, Think of Martin Luther King Day or something. Uh, yeah. Think of something. Just put some flowers in it. For yeah, there you go. Like, this is, yeah, this is your base, honey. This yeah, Luke. Okay. Yeah. That is great. I put I put the flowers in the bubble here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, That's funny. I mean, three ninety nine. I think you can't beat it. No, you know, it's, uh, it was no. a I mean, that kind of detail. You know, what, that hundred millimeters bigger. I mean, four ninety nine. So yeah, it is a beautiful. Craft. It is. I, I, you know, I would. I I came into this podcast not not expecting to be this excited and seeing a product and this really. Yeah. This is really exciting stuff. Yeah, and I and I think our listeners and everybody you know that's watching on Facebook the the little intricate details oh, that a lot stuff. of people don't realize of what Alpha does and the work they put into. Yeah, just everything. to see a picture. I mean, it looks beautiful. Yeah. But then to know right. all the stuff even right. beyond what you yeah. can see is right. just awesome. Actually, yep. I had a- question for alpha because we're yes. going to do uh we're going to do 3d printed parts but alpha mm-hmm. were you going to do the open 3d printed parts yeah. Somebody oh, wanted yeah. The open cow? yeah so there are four 3d pup um four 3d pup well three pups the 3d printed upgrade part sets uh, that are going to be available um the, the first one and probably the main one is the cockpit set so we've got a big cockpit in there 
Uh, as we mentioned, there's you can see through the cockpit between his legs and see down into the ground with the um, with the observer window. So a lot of real estate. We've got a 3D putt for the cockpit with the seat and instrument panels, combing, gun sight, all that sort of stuff. We didn't mention, but the stock canopy, the stock co- cockpit there does have plastic that encases the combing to resist bubbling and, and whatnot. But for people who want to go the extra mile with, uh, with 3D pups, we're going to have that. Um, the other three are a or a armament set, so sort of a rocket set, again, more just cosmetics and uh, underbody hardware set. And then, as James mentioned, the the um, the, the, the the vent flaps there, the cowl flaps. Uh, typically, obviously, open on the ground. Yep. Um, but uh, we know a couple people are going to model it just because it, it looks neat. Typically, if you see a Corsair, it's usually on the ground. Um, so they, they're used to <laughs> them open yeah um so we're having fun with the 3d pups uh some people just really they love to get into them oh i should say the the fifth is also going to be hubcaps because we got a request on oh yeah for yeah uh for scale hubcaps we use the big tire from some of our other aircraft it does have diamond (laughs) threads pointed out his video which is sort of neat um but um but obviously for cost concerns we're not going to mold a new hub every single aircraft. So for people who want to go super scale and to those suspension struts, be able to add uh, the, the cosmetic interest of a scale hub, we're going to have that available uh, right. as well. So the first containers, as James mentioned, shipped a couple weeks ago. So we, we didn't let people know until they had already, we didn't announce the aircraft until it had already gone. That's sort of what we try to do most of the time. And so, um, yeah, hoping we, hoping we get a fast boat this time. Uh, somebody was asking back in the comments a while back here. Let's see. Uh, the L39, do you have any rough idea when it's going to be back in stock in the U.S.? That's a popular bird. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's so funny, too, because so many people didn't think it was going to be popular. Yeah. There were like, like internal of the phase year. of motion about, you know, yeah. the color, and then people saw it fly, and yeah. it became popular, which is awesome. <laughs> It's our bird of the year so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. The short answer is we've got a lot. I mean, we're, we have, we're, we have a lot of, of shipments coming in. And so to be perfectly honest, I don't know which one uh, contains more L39s in it. And we can't really, we can't say definitively which container will arrive at a given time. Mm. There's a, there's a bit of a, you know, if one boat's faster than the other or one gets, and the others on the train. I mean, there's there's a lot of overlap. So the quickest and easiest way to the person asking is um, is always to put your email in to notify me on on the website on the product mm-hmm. page. Soon as it, regardless of when it arrives anywhere along the way, when it is in our warehouse and ready to ship to you that day, uh, that's when the email goes out to everyone, and um, that's going to be the easiest way. I would say. Given the the density of coming in, it, it shouldn't be more than a month. Okay. Um, but again, the he's he and everyone else. I know there's a long waiting list for that aircraft. So okay, please be patient with us as we as we get that bird in stock again. Right. It'll be worth the wait, though. You mean you don't have races with your boats? You don't track and have bets <laughs> on it? What's going to get the oh, first? Come on. I have like all these 90 millimeter F on the back of that uh, that <laughs> container ship. I don't think it go any faster. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow, what a, what a good podcast. I think we've covered just about everything with the Corsair. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add, Alpha, but I will say, James, 
That Corsair would look fantastic not only in the studio, but I have several 5,000 six-cell batteries that I have for my uh, Carbon Z Cub that would work perfectly in that airplane. <laughs> <Not bad>. uh, <laughs> so uh, um, I tell you, I I am really, really wanting one of those uh, airplanes. And uh, I, oh man, the end of January, Mike. Man, we're right in the winter too. But uh, <laughs> uh I think I might have to get me one of these. Yeah, I really I, don't. One quick that. question we didn't touch on actually yeah. is what kind of flight times were you getting off of five thousand? Uh, when I was at the field, um, anywhere from, I think Patrick was, he keeps his timer on just throttle usage mm-hmm. and he was about six to seven minutes of throttle usage. So okay. when he was cutting the throttle, I mean, I, there's no reason on a five, we landed in our flight review and I believe he still had, uh, he was like a 3.9 volts or something wow. and we were wow. seven minutes. So, so that's not, that's nice when, when you, you know, when we're so used to our EDFs, you know, to oh, talk, yeah. clocking out yeah. at like three or four, it was less than four minutes. Yeah. yeah. That's way cool. less yeah. on and just, you know, it can, it, it definitely wants to be in the sky. So I think this is the type yep. of bird where she's not a speed demon. So no. I, you're not going to be flying at full throttle, you know, the whole time. So right. I think you should easily expect anywhere from seven to nine minute flights, just, you yeah. know, as long as I think my flight video, I don't forget which one you threw in there, James, but I think that one was eight or eight and a half. Oh my, my timer, That's... my timer is set for nine. Um, wow. We've pushed it further, but again, it's sort of like I got more planes to fly. <laughs> yeah, and, and after eight minutes, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, guys, jump up to six thousand, you might be pushing double digits. Wow, that's <laughs> crazy. Know, so that's that's when you get that's when you get a little punchy and you start doing things that are ridiculous with the poor airplane, right? Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> a little, a little stick oh, happy. We, we do have. We need to throw on Hobby Squawk a picture. We we got. Speaking of getting, as you said, Andre, after a certain amount of minutes, you've sort of done everything you can do, so you get a little punchy. So we began. Uh, uh, me and one of our other engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, scrape dirt or flying. And uh, he won actually, and uh, and the aircraft came back in one piece. We lost about an inch off the top of the, the vertical stat, uh, which is actually leading edge is capped in plastic, thankfully. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> a little sharp part, so we we lost that, and then it we didn't lose too much of the rudder, and he came down. So um, we don't recommend <laughs> don't recommend getting bored. Just land. Yeah. Wow. Oh, one thing the, real quick, it popped in my head. I was noticing too, Patrick was talking about in the flight video. Uh, it seemed too with the gear down and dropping the flaps, it, it didn't really change the flight characteristics too much. You know, there wasn't a lot of ballooning and uh, you didn't have to put some mix of the down elevator uh, in your radio. It seemed to be very balanced, you know, whether the gear was up and flaps are up or gear down, flaps down. Yeah, in the book, there was there's no call for any sort of flap to elevator mix, and you know Patrick even said that when he when he flipped the flap switch for the first time, he was like, "Oh, that's awesome!" Like that was just the yeah. first thing he said was that yeah. you know the thing continued to move the way he expected it to. Right, because there's no mix, it allows. Um, I think I think in one of my videos, I've got the flaps down and the gear down, and I roll the airplane. I wouldn't oh, wow. do that in nice. any other warbird, you know. Yeah, I don't recommend people do it, but you know. The aircraft can so, right. Um, again, it's got to be accessible. I think your 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 question earlier, Chris, was key. I mean, for someone who wants to get up into larger sizes, there aren't many options out there. Uh, but they want to do it. They know they're going to do it eventually. 
you know, it's got to be a friendly aircraft. So we hope yes. people, while we talk about scale and it looks cool and we get that and we appreciate that feedback, we hope that when people fly it, they copy us back and say, you were right. It does fly really easily. You know, mm-hmm. it is, it is really well behaved. I mean, that's what, that's what we really want to hear about our aircraft more than, more than any of the cool things that, that I think that are fun to talk about. We also don't want to lose sight of, we want people to, to just not be afraid of them, right? Take mm-hmm. it out. We wanted this to be your daily bird. We want this to be your weekend bird. And as a Corsair, I think it, I think it deserves a place in everyone's hangar. Right. Right. And uh, uh, one more, one more thing in the book, um, Patrick had mentioned it when we were, when he was setting it up, low rate, high rate aileron, a hundred percent. I never, I actually never saw that on, you know, the call for the same exact, any reasoning. I mean, obviously it, it flies well, but what's the reasoning behind that? Yeah, that, that's a fair question. So we got some feedback that sometimes our throws, there's, I, I fly high, medium, low. It's, it's what I've always done because I'm used to testing aircraft. Most of my flying is a prototype that is a year away. And if I kill it that day, it sets the project back. So I, I err on the side of caution. Um, for this Corsair, it, it didn't need that much resolution. It didn't need three positions for every single, uh, every single setup. So we ended up frankly flying everything basically at full, <laughs> um, you know, um, and, and from there being a well-behaved aircraft, we recognize people will, are, are going to be used to, um, this isn't going to be, say, your first warbird ever. Mm-hmm. Any of your warbird experience and what you're used to as far as throws and expo, certainly, you can put into this aircraft, and it'll tell you very quickly and kindly um, if it likes that. And if not, you can get down and Andre, did you have a question? No, I'm all good. Uh, it's funny because uh, from my own flying, I usually start when I'm new to an aircraft, I'll start off in low rates, and I'll try it in high rates, but usually I just end up sticking in middle rates just because it gives you that little bit extra movement without being too over the top. You know, it's yeah. uh, sometimes yeah. high rates, you're just sitting here and the plane is just, it's just too unpredictable or too, too snappy, right? But medium seem to be like, you know, okay, it feels 40. I can have some fun here. And usually yeah. I'm only thrown into low rates until I'm landing or, well, it all depends on the conditions, but nine times out of 10, I'm just like medium rates and let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and me too. For traditionally planned form aircraft, I set I set a hundred eighty and sixty because lower yeah. than like forty percent throw, you, you're losing mechanical advantage anyway. So yeah. I set that range, and it's going to fall somewhere in there. Um, it's a delta or something special. You, you need to get a little more persnickety, but yeah. But, um, but yeah, what expo do you fly? Usually. Uh, it's funny. I, I, I think I start off uh, at 30, and as I go up higher in my rates, I lower my expo. Is it the other way around? It's early in the morning it's, still. But I, I've, I've seen all. Yeah. You Some know, people just, like I, a lot of throw, a little bit of expo, a mm, lot of both, a little bit of throw, a lot of expo. Yeah. I've never gone above 30 on my expo. I just, you know, I'm like, it's it's me flying the plane. If it's, if it's going to move around, you know, um, I remember I, one I did time. I 60 for my first jet. so that's like throw and wait yeah (laughs) i just wanted to be able to make ovals i wanted it to fly like a b-17 i was like let me just get up make ovals and come in because i i was so scared i did on my hawk and then i and then i lowered it down it's funny (laughs) um, 
my, my dad one time, he says, yeah, my plane's flying really weird. And I couldn't figure what was going on. And he had like super low rates and super high expo. <laughs> and so, so I turn and it'd be like, uh, 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 snap. And you yeah. <laughs> try to counter back and the airplane isn't like correcting. And I'm like, what's going on? And I looked and it was just that the I rates were really all nervous, you know, and yeah. it'll center my sticks. It's cause I put up the jet without putting any expo in the first time. And somebody <laughs> grabbed the sticks and landed it for me. Thank goodness. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let me just rack this all the way up. <laughs> the fun part is between Fataba high tech and the spectrum, you all obviously have positive expo and negative expo, yes. right? Yeah. I remember at our field, you know, everyone's like, I, I fly a lot of high-tech radios, so I usually fly zero, or if I fly anything, it's negative 10, negative 20. Obviously, in a spectrum, negative 20, you know, that's, that's bad. Oh, usually. yes, so, yes. That's so right. it's got to be positive 20, right? Yes. Um, because the numbers are inverted. So that's, that always, that's yeah, always yeah. a point of fun, you know, jumping into uh, new people, new pilots' radios and starting to fly whatever they're flying. What's the negative <laughs> expo do? I'm sorry. Well, it's just like, you know, you put your expo in. On our spectrum radios, it's positive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it gives you a little less around the yeah, center of the soft. stick. Yeah, well, some radios are the opposite. You got to put negative in. So oh, depending really? on the radio, you know, you switch from one radio yeah. to the other. You go negative or positive on one way or the other. You could be bad. Oh, so know? the negative would make it touchier, <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming? Yeah, Very right. Touchier. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So oh, you're like, gosh. right. <laughs> Nightmare. Right. Dead on the outside. Yeah. Always ask. In China, I'm going from sort of factory to factory, and we'll, in, you know, we'll fly a prototype. They'll hand you a radio, and it's mode one or mode two, and it's positive or negative, which is why oh. I, I actually ended up just flying zero expo. Just yeah, if you yeah. just if you don't need it, then you don't need to worry what they've got on it. Right. But the mode one still, uh, mm. mode one, I'm, that's that's that still wraps my brain. Yeah, no kidding, eh? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, folks, I think we've covered just about everything. Uh, we're creeping up on two hours. I think James is wore out from his lifting the Corsair for two hours, uh, taking it apart for the second out. time, putting it back together. I so, know. man, we definitely really. I know that was great. Uh, so, James, we, we really appreciate what you did. I mean, taking it apart, showing us the detail and, and all aspects of the Corsair. That was fantastic. Absolutely. Um, Thanks for joining us on Facebook Live. I'm sorry. I know we had a little bit Sound of audio issue. I'm not really. could be internet. Um, we have had fiber optic here in my neighborhood for one year. I was so excited. We could do high definition coming in with the camera and everything. They still have not hooked up to the houses yet. It is just on the poles. So we've been waiting. I call them on a Daily. monthly basis. <laughs> I'm like, we're ready to go. What's going on? Oh, you know. But hopefully soon we'll have the fiber optic hooked up and then we can do this in HD and uh, much faster, better quality oh, for everybody. Oh, man, that means all my blemishes. Yeah, Mike, advanced. you're going to have to you know shave uh, and cut your hair. Bald spots yeah. and everything else. Uh, but, <laughs> but thanks, everybody, right. for joining us today. Uh, thanks, Alpha and James, for coming on and, and giving us all the information on the Corsair. I, I, I was excited about this, but now I'm really super excited. I mean, I haven't been this excited probably since the C-130. You know, uh, I'm, ooh, man, I, I don't know what to do here. Uh, anyway, real quick, uh, please go check out Get FPV. Uh, they're really helping out the show and bringing on these guests and everything. And so go check out GetFPV.com. They got all kinds of deals going on right now for the holidays. Free shipping on most orders over $60. And like I said, no matter if they got stuff on sale, you can still use our discount code. It's 10% off your entire order as long as you spend $100. Them guys are great. Also, I want to mention real quick, uh, 
I, I, the last you, you put an FPV camera in the window so you can oh, see where you're bombing. There you go. There you That's go. perfect. <laughs> um, real quick, we talked about a contest that we're doing for Get FPV. We're sending your best quad crash story with some photos and videos. I did get some emails, but I know a lot of our listeners, if they're like me, I'm always a week or two behind on listening to my podcast. So we're going to go another couple weeks on our last show. We're going to do a year-end recap on the 30th of December. It's going to be a big show. We're going to have some in-guests in the studio here. So we're going to wait till the very end of the year to reveal that. I'd like to get a few more emails and get some uh, more crash stories coming in. But we're going to give away a set of motors from Get FPV. And uh, I think that's about it, Mike. I think this was a great podcast. Great really podcast. The guests and, yes. and what they had to bring here. Yes. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. If you wanted to hang on, we're going to end the show here. Uh, Andre, anything else that I forgot uh, that we need to add? No, not at all. Um, I think we're pretty good. Okay, real quick, too. If you enter, want to enter in for the Get FBB Talk contest, please send your, e- your emails to rcafterhourspodcast.com at gmail.com uh, please send us in your best quad crash story and we'd like some pictures and or a video so we can um, choose the best one uh, and if you like the show please help us out go to patreon.com slash rc after hours everything you do just helps this show keep keep going and gets our gets some guests on here and get us some product to go out and play with and test so uh, we appreciate that as well so other than that, we're out of here. We will be back in a couple weeks after Christmas for our year in review show. It should be fun. Yes. It'll be good. You enjoy it. So <laughs> join us in a couple of weeks. And if we don't if you don't hear from us or talk to us, have a great holidays, everybody. Yep. And we Merry will talk Christmas. to you soon. All right. See Take ya. care. Thanks, See guys. ya. See ya. Bye guys.